0: Would Jim Harbaugh make sense to become the next Jets head coach next season? Will the Jets get their first win of the season against the Chargers behind Joe Flacco? The only Jets QB to take them to -to back-to-back AFC Championship games, Mark Sanchez, will join the show for a hell of an interview. Also, Brian's book, Stump the Cause, and Jay Swizzy emerges with a Jets rap. All that and more next on a brand new episode of Gang's All Here with the New York Post.
1: You play to win the game.
0: Welcome back to Gangs All Here. I know you all missed us in the bye week. Hope you all had a, a nice Sunday without watching the Jets. They did not lose because they could not lose in the bye. It's Jake Brown here with Brian Costello. Follow us on Twitter at Jake Brown Radio, at Brian Kaz. Read Kaz's stories in the post and at nypost.com. And catch up on all episodes. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. Give us that five star rating. And write in a nice review. If you don't use Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Amazon, wherever you get your damn podcast, you can find us. The Jets will take on the Chargers on Sunday and we'll preview that game in a little bit. Kaz, it must have been nice for you having a Sunday away from the screen, from the stadium, having to watch this 0-9 Jets team. I'm sure you enjoyed it, right?
1: I did, Jake. I got to watch some other football games and spend a little time with the family, so it was good. It nice. Now, ready to get back to the grind of the 2020 season.
0: Yeah, we got seven more games to go here, and it starts with a team who's also had some bad luck this season in the Chargers. But I want to start with a, a story that you wrote that I found intriguing. And, you know, it's going to be something we're going to be talking about the rest of the year. Let's just be honest. It's going to be after the season when the news potentially we expect to happen or whenever if it's before the season ends the firing of Adam Gase at some point and you got to start thinking about replacements. They're so bad, you got to start thinking of quarterbacks, you know, the, the off season, the roster, the draft and head coach. And you you wrote a story about J- the Jets should be exploring Jim Harbaugh as their potential next head coach. He's at Michigan, they're 1 and 3, they're struggling this season. Take me through your philosophy of why Harbaugh would make sense for this team.
1: I I think it's just worth exploring, Jake. I'm not sure. I'm not coming to the conclusion that he, you know, definitely they should hire him. But uh, he's a guy they flirted with before. They interviewed him in 2009 when they hired Rex Ryan. He was at – that was his – going to be his third season at Stanford. He was kind of a younger coach at that point, not very proven. His first couple of years at Stanford have been okay, but nothing great. But the Jets, the Jets liked them, but they liked Rex more and went with Rex. And then um, when they fired Rex in 2014, they wanted to, to get to Harbaugh. But at that time, he was going to Michigan. And that was when he took the Michigan job and basically told the Jets and everybody else that, that he wasn't interested. And then in 2018, when they fired Todd Bowles, there was a report by Pro Football Talk that – They were interested in Harbaugh. The Jets quickly shot that down, and nothing ever materialized for it. But he's a good guy. That's three coaching searches, Jake, that he's kind of been mentioned for. So I think it'll probably be in the fourth. And looking at his situation right now, like you mentioned, they're 1-3 and at Michigan. He hasn't beaten Ohio State. He beat Michigan State once. He has one year left on his contract at Michigan, and it sounds like they're going to part ways at the end of the season. Now, the tricky part for Michigan is he's a legend at the school, played there. His father coached there for a long time. He has won 10 games in three seasons there, uh, 10 games each in in three seasons. And his kids graduate. They don't get into trouble. There's no scandal. Tough to fire that guy, Jake. You know, it's tough to fire a legend at your school. The easy way out for them is if he takes an NFL job. Then everybody can kind of say, okay, you know, he's leaving for the NFL. We didn't fire him. He chose to go to the NFL. Harbaugh can save face, say this. So I think he's he's going to end up in the NFL and the Jets should explore it. He I know he hasn't done well at Michigan, but look, he won 44 games with the 49ers. He went to three straight NFC championship games, went to one Super Bowl. He has a track record with quarterbacks. Andrew Luck at Stanford, Alex Smith, he basically resuscitated his career in San Francisco and then he went to a Super Bowl with Colin Kaepernick. You know, design like he and Greg Roman designed a system that worked with Kaepernick. So if you're looking for a guy that if you you're expecting to draft Trevor Lawrence or if you know you end up sticking with Sam Darnold and one of the requirements is you want a coach who can work with a quarterback Harbaugh has done that now the detractors are going to point to what happened in Michigan he has not had success there i haven't followed Michigan football closely enough to know is that recruiting or is it you know has it been Xs and Os honestly i have i have not followed that closely enough but that was a lot of the pushback i got from jets fans was this guy's been a disaster at Michigan they can't hire him
0: Yeah, and I don't think you could really compare the two. It's two completely different coaching positions, college and the NFL. And I think what you said, you point to his track record, Kaz, and 44-19-1, Three NFC Championship games and a Super Bowl appearance, 2011 Coach of the Year. You can't deny that he was a tremendous head coach in the NFL that worked with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. I mean, he was great, and I don't, I don't see why the Jets shouldn't give him another shot. And obviously, guys like Joe Brady and Eric Bieniemy are some of the other options. But Harbaugh is really a proven commodity in the NFL, and if the Jets want a CEO like guy and someone who's proven. I'd look at him as maybe the top option if they could go that route.
1: Yeah, I mean, the thing that, that made me laugh, Jake, I got a lot of feedback that people were dead set against it. But, like, the guys you mentioned, like Eric Bieniemy or Joe Brady, they've never been a head coach in the NFL. Like, so you this is, again, you're projecting someone into the job, which is not easy to do. It's it's a jump going from the coordinator to being the guy on top. So I, I just don't get why you wouldn't want to explore the hardball option, at least. Now, the thing that I, I think is trouble is going to be, a trouble for the Jets is does Harbaugh want like total control or anything, you know, cause he clashed with Trent Balky in San Francisco. That's why it didn't work there. That's why he ended up leaving. Joe Douglas is the guy here. They hired Joe Douglas June of last year. They're not ready to say, okay, you know, let's turn over personnel to somebody else. Like he has to have time to build here. He has a six year contract. So, you know, I don't know. I don't know what Harbaugh is thinking right now. Maybe after the experience in Michigan, he just wants to coach and doesn't want to, doesn't want personnel control. But that, to me, could be the issue that, you know, why he doesn't fit here.
0: A couple of news and notes, Kaz. Pierre Desir, he was waived. He was pretty much a failure here at Joe Douglas Failed point Quincy Wilson went over to the Giants with uh, Brian Poole was placed on IR Pierre Desir pretty much a huge swing and a miss for Joe Douglas and this secondary is going to feature a lot of youth here in the final seven games of the season uh, led probably by Bryce Hall
1: yeah swing and a miss Jake but a one-year contract you know so it's not like not Jermaine Johnson type swing and a miss where where it sets you back on the cap they tried it it didn't work Um, it it is a knock against Joe Joe Douglas he did not get that one right that was his cornerback signing like you mentioned Bryce Hall, Bless Austin will probably be the starting corners. I, I'm not sure what kind of role Ballantine will have here. I think he's mainly a special teams guy at first. But Bryce Hall, their fifth-round pick, guy from Virginia who had a lot of talent, had an injury, that's why he fell in the draft. I think they're intrigued and they want to see what they have there. And this is what the rest of the season is about, Jake. It's it's seeing what you have in these rookies and second-year guys. And the secondary has a lot of them. And, and we're going to get to see them play. I think, you know, Ashton Davis is playing now um, with Bradley McDougal hurt. And that's the way the Jets are going to go the rest of the year.
0: And you hope Makai Becton stays healthy and he should be ready to to roll i assume this week
1: yeah he told us that you know he had a cold before the patriots game oh and it was chest chest congestion not not covid because he, he gets tested every day but he had chest congestion and that's what caused his breathing problems in that game and then they were kind of freaked out you know the medical staff him, him they didn't know why he wasn't breathing right so they didn't want to put him back in the game obviously so they, they kept him out but it seems like he's passed every test and he's fine. And he said it won't be a problem going forward. So yeah, you'd like to see Becton play the entire rest of the way. You know, I think to me, you'd love to see this offense together, you know, the rest of the way, get Donald back, get the starting offensive line, have the three receivers who I think did make a difference against New England. Now I know Jake, you're rooting for 0-16 and, and the number one pick. So maybe you don't want to see all of it together, but I'd be intrigued to see, you know, what they can all do together if they had a, some sustained run here.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, the Jaguars are very close. The Jaguars had their chance to help the Jets against the Packers, and they could not win that game, so that hurt. You mentioned Darnold, and that's obviously another big story. Joe Flacco's going to start again. Adam Gase said, I don't know when it is, when Darnold will play. Um, if he misses another game or two, should they shut him down? Gase said, If I said that to him, I don't know, that would go over w- very well. He wants to play. Um, let's see what he could do when we've got all our pieces out there. You Remember, you mentioned a couple weeks ago, I think, about the Jets shutting Darnold down for the season would be a wise option. Where are you in this quarterback situation? Because, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen with that shoulder. Do you see Darnold coming back at some point, or what's going to happen?
1: I do think he'll be back, Jake, but I I think there should be more consideration given to just shutting him down. You know, I, I, I don't know what's to be gained from him playing four games at the end of the season for anyone. For Sam or for the Jets? I think, you know, if they have the number one pick, they're going to end up trading Sam. Maybe if they have the number two pick, and maybe Justin Fields. Are you just possibly hurting that trade value down the stretch? For Sam's perspective, what are you getting out of playing these last few games here? Now, they're wired differently than you and I, Jake. They, he, Sam's a competitor. That's why he's a professional athlete. He's never – he doesn't want to hear that. Like, he wants to play. I know there's some conspiracy theories out there that maybe he's pushing this They he doesn't want to play. I mean, Sam wants to play. Sam has been pretty adamant about that all along. Um, so I do think we're going to see him again. You know, I think it's a fair question to ask about whether, whether it's wise to do that.
0: And, you know, the jets will go up Sunday against a quarterback, a rookie who's had some early success. I know they're two and seven, but Justin Herbert has shown some promising signs for the Chargers. Listen, they find new ways to lose in the final seconds of games every week. They are nine and a half point favorites over the jets in Hollywood. The over under is 46 and a half. And, uh, it is funny, Herbert, I mean, his new haircut that they put on him and with combined with the acne, it looked like he just stepped out of a game of Halo for 24 hours in his mom's basement with a box of Kleenex there. It looks insane what they did to his hair. But let's put his hair aside, Kaz, because me and you don't have any hair to talk about, so we can't rip a yeah. guy's haircut because we don't, we don't have any. I mean, bald is beautiful, though. I will agree on that. Preview this game for us, Kaz, and uh, break down what do you think is going to go down. Make a Make your prediction.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, we've talked about it a few times. I think, Jake, the the Jets are the get-right team for everybody. You know, we the Patriots lost four in a row. Everything was falling apart for the Patriots. They find a way to beat the Jets, and then they beat the Ravens a week later. You know, the Bills had lost two in a row. Were they collapsing? They beat the Jets, and – they've gone on a run that ended with a hail the hail Murray on Sunday, Arizona had lost two in a row. And I, there was questions that week of, you know, was Kingsbury's offense not working with Murray? Well, they got right. And I think they've won four of their last five games. So here come the chargers who they've lost a bunch of games close and every their Anthony Lynn is on the hot seat. I think they they'll be, thrilled to see the jets on the schedule (laughs) and and the jets are almost it's almost like the jets are getting team's best shot jake like it's you know it's it's kind of counterintuitive like you expect like if you're the chiefs you get team's best shot i think the jets are getting teams are playing very well against the Jets because they know they can win that game and they're focused on winning that game. You know, the best hope for the Jets in my eyes is a team coming in here that's overconfident and maybe the Dolphins are that team in a couple of next week that maybe they can start reading their press clippings and think they've arrived and, and come and the Jets could catch them. The Chargers are going to be desperate for a win Sunday. So I think they're going to win. Uh, you know, I haven't come up with a score yet, Jake. I haven't really, I haven't thought, thought about it, but I, I think it's going to be pretty comfortable. Like, you know, more than more than two touchdowns, I I think they're going to win by you know close to 20 points probably. Just lose, baby.
0: Again, I'll go with my backdoor cover. I'm a big backdoor cover guy, 27-20 chargers. I do think they're much better. I do think the Jets have shown some signs with Joe Flacco when they're healthy, like they did versus New England, that they could at least score some points. So I think they might get a garbage-time touchdown. It'll be 27-13 with a minute left, they'll score, and then onside kick and lose. But I think 27-20, and that, that would be the over as well. The tank for Trevor is still alive. Let's transition over now to Brian's book. And with Mark Sanchez joining us in just a few minutes for an absolutely fantastic interview about a multitude of subjects from Broadway to hot dogs to chicken fingers, all different things. Before we go to that, we present Brian's book where Brian Costello tells you a story from his days on the beat. And Kaz, in honor of Mark Sanchez, give us a Brian's book about Mark Sanchez.
1: Yeah, so... Covering anything for the post is a little different, Jake, than other outlets. And one of the elements of that is Page Six and sort of our celebrity-driven news and things. And so Mark Sanchez was a big Page Six guy. Uh, in his career here and, and they, they, they liked they liked him up in the front of the, the front of the newspaper as we like to say. So that's always a tricky thing when you're the beat writer kind of dealing with that. And I remember in 2012, this was the summer of 2012. So everyone, you know we were very focused on Tim Tebow uh, in the summer of 2012, if you remember. and one of the things that the post was fascinated with was where was he living? And they had a reporter who that was his job was to try to try to find out as much as he could about Tebow's life. In New Jersey with the Jets, where he he like to go to dinner? Where was you know where was he hanging out? All this kind of stuff. So uh, they got a tip that that Tebow was living on Donald Trump's golf course uh, in New Jersey. So the reporter arranged for a tour of the golf course. Now there's some debate about how he arranged that and whether whether it was that the, the golf course knew what he was looking for or not. I, I think the golf course did know what he was looking for and was happy to oblige. So he took a tour of the golf course. I can't remember if I knew this was happening, but I get a call on Saturday night. And it's the reporter who I had talked to a few times about Tebow and and different things. And we kind of compared notes of what we heard. And he said, has anyone told you what the front page is tomorrow? And I said, no. And he said, oh boy, he's like, somebody should have told you. So he goes to explain to me that he took this tour of the golf course uh, in Bedminster, New Jersey, He did not find Tim Tebow, but Mark Sanchez lived on that golf course. And he happened to be eating breakfast with Ava Longoria on their patio. And we took a whole bunch of pictures of Sanchez and Ava Longoria on Mark's patio eating breakfast. And that was, they they were not publicly known to be dating at the time. The next day they were publicly known to be dating because it was the front page of the post. Big story. So I had been on the beat for a year at that point. And, you know, I didn't know Mark all that well. And I started doing some damage control Saturday night. And I kind of just, I called, I called someone from the jets and told them they were coming and they were kind of like, okay, whatever. And I called Mark's brother who acted as his agent and attorney and told him and he flipped (laughs) and told me I would never have a relationship with Mark. I would, they would never talk to me again. And, you know, he went crazy and I saw Mark like a few days later and I, said to him like you know sorry mark didn't care mark was fine with it he, he was okay with it he should be but fine I'll he's on to... the cover with one of the uh, even like yeah. like that's awesome <laughs> yeah. so he was good with it um, but you know that's that it's happens happened when I, I used to back up George King on the Yankees quite a bit with Jeter some of those stories were, were rough and then uh, you know Darold even had one last year on page six where I had to go I had to go to Sam last year and be like okay I've had this conversation with a lot of different quarterbacks for the years are we okay and and Sam was good with it too and so uh, most of them are, are cool and kind of understand it comes with the territory
0: listen I'll put my fat bald head on the cover with Eva Longori any day of the week week uh 11 years older than him too so shout out to mark San- a young mark sanchez at that time was probably what 23 24 and she yeah. was 35 so shout out to mark <laughs> for that that is a great story i've met a few wild censors in my life let's bring in associate producer alice camarada now cause you let out a story now we have to give you some trivia as we do every week in this edition of stump the Cos. Take it away, Alex.
2: All right, we're going to keep it within the Mark Sanchez theme here. Mark Sanchez was a rookie in 2009, Cos, and he actually threw to six wide receivers on the depth chart. Can you name all six wide receivers that he threw to in his 2009 rookie season? Wow, that's hard.
1: This is before my time on the beat, but I'll go uh Braylon Edwards, that's one. Jericho Cotchery was two. That's two. Chancey Stuckey.
2: That's three. Wow, that's a good one. <laughs>
1: David Clowney?
2: Yes, that's four.
1: Now, are these are these wide receivers, Alex, or they running
2: backs now? All wide receivers.
1: All wide receivers. Uh, who else was on that team?
2: I'll give you a hint. This player's name has a W and a W, first and last name. Oh, God.
1: No, I, mean, I can picture him, number 11. Wes, he was a special teams guy. I can't get it. Who was it? Wallace Wright. Wallace Wright, yeah. What about the last one? And last one is Brad Smith.
0: Oh, Oh, ah, Brad Smith. I should have known.
1: Yeah, that one I should have gotten.
0: You got, you got, uh, you got David Clowney, but not Brad Smith.
1: Yeah, I forget about Brad Smith. I don't know why. I
0: think we officially stumped the cause.
1: Stump me, stump me. That was a good one. That was a good question.
0: Congrats, Alex. Finally, the cause has been stumped.
1: That was a good one.
2: it's now time to debut jake aka jay swizzy's rapping abilities on the show the beat is courtesy of jake's roommate trevor aka trev bot listen to his new album on soundcloud by searching trev bot drop some jets heat jay swizzy
0: trev bot on the beat it's jay swizzy Jets can't get a win. We tank it. Harvard Trevor. Douglas knows taking TL would be clever. Three years in. Time to say bye to Darnold. Throwing picks at night. Remixing Hey Arnold. This is why I'm hot. That's Denzel Mims. COVID-19 shutting down all the gym. Get me a goddamn snack. I love Rex Ryan. Adam Case got Jets fans in tears. Crying. Brilliant offensive mind man. You crazy. Makai Beckton. Thou shall praise thee. Big fella blocking. Looking like brick. Losing every damn week. It's making me sick. The Pats suck now. Buffalo our new enemy. Who places gase maybe eric b enemy could be joe brady i hope it's sean pay being a jets fan is like signing up with satan man i miss the days of hanging chat herman edwards really was my og dad mark sanchez won here got so much fame let me close with this you play to win the game oh that's a man's jam all well, jets fans will be happy to hear that Joining us now is the last and only Jets quarterback to take them to back-to-back AFC championship games. It was a decade ago. It feels like forever in 2010 and 2011. He played four seasons with Gangrene as their starting quarterback from 2009 through 2012. He would then as make his way around the NFC East with the Eagles, Cowboys, and the team formerly known as the Redskins. You can catch him now. On ESPN, where he covers the NFL and college football, and he also hosts Fourth and Forever, the podcast with the Showtime Sports. They've had a cavalcade of star guests on there. You could check that out on YouTube. Um, it's a video podcast, so you know everyone finds him easy on the eyes. So you could catch him on the videos there. And you were on Mass Singer as the Baby Alien. It's the quarterback number six, the Sanchez, Mark Sanchez, Mark. It's Jake Brown. Brian Costello, welcome to the show. How are you?
3: Sheesh! What an intro that was awesome. I got to get you guys to uh, intro me everywhere.
1: My intro would have been a little less, you know, a little less verbose. And <laughs> you juice. would have been like, "What's right. up? What's
0: up, Mark?" <laughs> uh, you know, I, I had to give you your eulogy for later on in life, or your bar, your bar mitzvah hype album. That would that would be it exactly. right there. Exactly. Uh, that was nice. You were, you know, I watched your clip. I was notified when we said we were having you on that you were on Mass Singer. I honestly do not watch the show, but I did watch the clip. Your voice wasn't terrible. I've heard worse. It was pretty decent. Excuse what, wh- me, wasn't terrible. <laughs> <laughs> what was your preparation like for that? Were you singing in the shower? How'd it go?
3: Uh, yeah, so my, my son and I actually did a ton of prep for that. He knows all the, song, all the words to face and It's Time by Imagine Dragons. We had another couple songs lined up, expecting to advance a little farther, but it didn't work out. Uh, but that costume was pretty heavy, and then the uh, you know the puppeteering that was involved. So it was like a, a triple threat, right? You got to get the vocals right, uh, you got to nail the costume part of it, and the uh, stamina part of it, because it was about 40 pounds holding that whole thing up, and then doing the puppeteering to match with the uh, the words and lyrics of the song. So it was a um, it was an intense you know six week training camp essentially, and uh, doing that, running around the house, putting the uh, the music on the instrumental track. on, on my Sonos and then singing over it with a 40-pound weight vest and backpack on <laughs> to try and simulate it, you know, as uh, as the vocal coach instructed me because she said, you know, you're going to get tired and the most important thing is your breath when you're singing. And so it's like you got to get your diaphragm strong and get yourself ready to, ready to roll with this costume. It's a little different than everybody else. So that was a part of it. I think my son thought I was absolutely nuts because you would see me doing this around the house for hours on end, you know, and then I'd go on the zoom for a couple hours and learn how to work a puppet. So it was, uh, it was pretty intense, but it was so fun. Uh, I got to break outside my comfort zone and, and get uncomfortable and learn a new skill. And so it was, uh, it was great.
0: Mark, you made that sound more intense than jets training cam hard knock style with Rex Ryan. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah. See, that was, that was different. You know, it's And everybody asked about, like, the nerves and stuff. Like, at least football, I've been doing it for so long. Like, at the end of the day, you're just doing something you love that you played as a kid. This was, you know, I love singing, but I love doing karaoke. But this was, um, there were a lot of other elements to it. So it was uh, was pretty nerve-wracking. And, you know, right before the song starts in your ear, they kind of give you a heads up. And they say, okay, we're on in five, four, three, two. And then they go silent for one. And then you hear these, like, three or four clicks. And so right about this like second or third click is when it, you know, my, my heart kind of sank for a second. I was like, Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> and so you got to go into a uh, stage mode, I guess, and performance mode. But it was, like I said, it was, it was an incredible experience and, and, um, what a great group of people I met, and and fun for everybody.
1: A hidden skill we didn't know when you were when you were with the Jets. We would have uh, we would have had you sing to the in one of your press conferences if we knew that back yeah. then.
3: <laughs> there was a I used to go to Tipriani downtown, and uh, they had this this upstairs karaoke thing late on like Sunday night, and then uh, sometimes bills. Um, it was a piano bar. On 57th or something like that, I feel like in Manhattan. And sometimes I would grab the mic there. They'd let me sing late if uh, we had a couple of adult beverages. And and after a big win or something, we'd go and shut down the uh, shut down the piano bar.
0: The question is, what is your karaoke anthem, Mark?
3: Ooh, I love Mr. Jones by the Counting Crows. That's always a winner. Um, you can't go wrong with songs like Sweet Caroline and you know some oldies classics and Motown classics. Those are always fun and you get the crowd involved. So uh, those are kind of those are kind of my go-to's,
1: Mark. I'm not sure uh, how much you've seen of the 2020 Jets. For, hopefully, for your sake, you haven't seen much because there <laughs> there hasn't been much to watch. But I know you, you you know you keep tabs on the team a little bit and watch from afar. Sam Darnold's. I don't think there's anyone who can relate to what Sam's going through better than you having gone through what you did as a Jets quarterback and maybe not the injury part of it your last year, you had the injury, but you know, Sam's dealing with that right now but in terms of playing on a team that doesn't have a great offensive line. It doesn't have a lot of great receivers around him. What do you feel when, when you see what Sam is going through right now? And can you kind of recall what, what you felt back in 11 and 12 or 12 and 12 and 13 your last couple of years here?
3: Yeah, of course. I, I feel like it's uh pretty similar circumstances with, you know, new coaching staffs and uh, new general managers, uh, a lot of moving parts around him. And that's um, usually a a recipe for disaster in this league. The idea is to get, you know, some continuity, some consistency with your playmakers around you. One, you got to get the playmakers, then you got to keep them for a while or as long as you possibly can with all the free agency moves and contracts and all that. But um, part of it, you know, is there's just – There's just nothing working in their favor right now, right? I mean, it's not a, you know, real veteran group. It's not guys who played together for a long time. And there isn't just a star-studded cast that kind of can figure it out or just use their talent and make plays, right? So it's really the triple threat in the wrong direction. So they, you know, they have a, a ton of room to grow. And they have some picks coming up here that look like, you know, this could be the spot whether Gase is the answer or they move in a different direction you know who knows but there's just so much uncertainty that it's you know it's almost impossible for a quarterback to have success with all those circumstances so you know I really feel for him I understand what he's going through he's you know part of it too like you know you got to understand he's he's a competitor you know and he wants to make it work and he wants to make a right and he wants to fight to get back on the field and now you know because of the way things have transpired, he's he's got to make some serious decisions about the longevity of his career and, you know, whether or not playing the rest of this year is even worth it if it's in his best interest. You know, if this season is at a loss, like it looks like already, it's not like they're going to turn around and make a playoff run, you know. So now you get into these tough decisions as a uh, as a competitor thinking, man, maybe, you know, maybe my time's up here and that's okay. And maybe it's best for both sides to move on. And you uh, you go on in a different direction, hopefully with a team that's going to invest in you and surround you with talent. So he's going to have to make some of those decisions here coming up. And, and, you know, he's lucky he has some guys to lean on and Josh McCown and, and Joe Flacco, who, have you know, seen just about everything in the league. So, you know, he's fortunate in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, you know, competitively and, and as a player, he's, he's in a tough spot with, uh, with the supporting cast.
0: Mark, can you take us through kind of that spotlight? I mean, you were a rookie in New York City and you guys won quick. So you became, you know, the talk of the town very quickly. And a lot has changed in 10 years. Whereas Sam Darnold, he's seeing everything on social media. I feel like social media wasn't as prevalent 10 years ago as it is now. Now it is everything. Now you got fleets on Twitter. You got all these changes in the social media world. TikTok's blowing up. It's just a different world. And uh when you're losing and in New York City it's got to be difficult you saw that on the later end of your career but early on having that spotlight it's got to be a ton of pressure on you
3: oh no doubt and that's you know you got to understand he's he's a uh, you know what is he 24 23 23 yeah Something. 23 yeah so so i mean you know you signed this huge deal just like i did and you are now overnight expected i was what 21 22 at the time you're just overnight expected after signing this 50 million dollar deal with the jets as their franchise quarterback to somehow, you know, fast forward in the future and make, you know, have the discernment and and uh, you know, a wisdom of a 65-year-old, you know, supreme court justice. And, and that's just not the way it works, right? And and every quarterback goes through that in a sense. If you're a first round, second round guy, right? You become the face of this franchise and now the expectation changes and um, you know, but you're still you're still a kid for all intents and purposes. You're a kid. You're it's your first year on the job. I mean, think about what do you expect from somebody, you know, working for Oracle their first year? It's like, yeah, he's a rookie. He's new. He's a new guy. He's going to spill coffee. He's going to mess up the fax machine. He's gonna, you know, little things like that. You're just going to make bonehead moves. And because you're still a kid. And so people have to understand that. And you know, it's, it's hard for, it's hard for people to, to comprehend that. But, you know, I think he's dealt with the spotlight well And, um, you know, he's not, I don't know, maybe as social as I probably was, you know, I I was enjoying every part of being the Jets quarterback. And I and I I'm thankful for that because a lot of those relationships, anytime I go back to New York City, those are the people I still talk to that I met my first three, four years in New York. And and I love it. And so, you know, I love going to theater. I love seeing Broadway shows. I love you know, we made sure we got our work done, but, but you take advantage of those things that maybe you'll never get to do again. And so, you know, that was kind of my outlook on it, but you'll also have to understand too, those first two years when you win the way we did and you have the team that we did, I mean, the city is just like, they love you. And, and you can do just about anything. We had so much fun doing it and, and that's kind of the way it goes. You know, when you're, when you're winning, everything's great. So Sam, he's shown flashes for sure. There's, there's, in my opinion, And obviously I'm biased. He's an FC guy. He's a SoCal guy. I think he's a really good player. I think he's a a franchise player. I think he's somebody you invest in. And I think he's shown enough to prove that either to the Jets or to another franchise. But he just hasn't been able to do it there. And I don't think all that's totally his fault. So, you know, it's just, he's in a tough spot. And, um, you know, I I think people protect him a little more and, you know, Brian and I talked about this the other day, but people protect him a little more because they haven't had that, that sustained success for a couple of seasons or anything, or made a deep playoff run. So, you know, so the bar has been, you know, hasn't really been set that high yet. You know, as soon as we set the bar high, then we go eight and eight, my third year. It's like, Oh, you guys suck. (laughs) We're just (laughs) like, damn, you know, this is wow. Then I really experienced New York. Like, because you, you do get the highs and the lows. I don't care if you're Derek Jeter or, you know, Phil Sims, you get it all, right? You play in that city, you play in that market, you're going to experience it all. And if you have, you know, great success, you're going to have some great failures. And that's okay. And so, you know, I think I think Sam's going to do just fine, whether he stays there, which, I you know, honestly, I hope he does, because I'd love to see him get it right there and, and you know, kind of vindicate himself, even though he doesn't really need to. I, I think he's a great player either way, so. Or, or he goes somewhere else and, and kicks buff for somebody else.
1: Mark, I had a question about coaching because a, a big thing, you know, we've always heard is like, oh, a quarterback guru or quarterback whisperer and developing quarterbacks. And kind of my theory's always been like you can't develop a quarterback who, who doesn't have the the goods like, you know, you're not going to make a guy great for coaching obviously we went through a lot of different coaches in your time in the league. How much of a difference does a quarterback coach make? And I'm not necessarily talking about scheme per se, but more like just coaching you on the finer points of playing quarterback. How much how much of a difference do, does a quarterback coach, offensive coordinator, or an offensive head coach make for a quarterback?
3: Well, I think a lot of those things, there's so many variables, right? But I do think having, even even if you have a defensive coach, that doesn't mean you can't have, you know, an offensive side of the ball that stays together and then you – develop years on end you start to stack seasons right so that at a certain point you're three four five years in speaking the same language to a lot of the same coaches who've been there to a lot of the same players and now you're all on the same page and this offense grows with the talent around it, right the perfect example and it's so hard to find is what what Josh McDaniel was able to do in New England this offense changed over the years early Tom Brady he didn't throw the ball that much They ran two-back sets with Charlie Weiss, and they're doing, you know, six, seven-man protections constantly. They rarely ran five-man protection and empty sets with him. And then as he grew and spoke the language, understood the offense, stayed in the same system, things started to develop. Then they have a two-tight end set with, uh, you know, Gronk and Aaron Hernandez. Then they have more wideouts. Okay, boom, let's add a guy like Wes Welker. Now we're going to use him. So the offense is essentially this living, breathing thing that can – evolve over time if you let it, right and the problem is people are just impatient and if you don't get the results right now then all right you know it's just a complete overhaul with everybody and you know that's not that's not necessarily what you want to do so you know things change and, and you got to give it time you gotta you gotta let it marinate but you also have to add the right ingredients right and, and right now what they're cooking there ain't, ain't, ain't working
0: mark sanchez is with us on gangs all here jake brown brian castell Follow i on twitter at mark underscore sanchez and instagram the same handle mark rex ryan do you look at him as kind of the ceo like coach that the jets are missing i mean obviously he was fun get me a goddamn snack hard knocks everything a to z rex was just was just the best um is that the kind of guy the jets need right now where do you think they go at head coach
3: yeah i mean it just depends what style you want right like how um how do you want the the team perceived what what's like the message you send to everybody and if you're going defensive do you want somebody outspoken like that do you want somebody a little more reserved I mean that just goes down to style but as far as success a lot of that's going to depend on the players right like at the end of the day guys talk about this all the time but it's the johnnies and the joes are sometimes more important than the x's and the o's right I could give you a bunch of really good plays with a bunch of really crappy players and you'll beat us every time I could give you some average ass plays and some really good players and we'll kick your ass up and down the field. That's just how it works, right? If you have studs, you know, Jericho Cotry, Braylon Edwards, Santonio Holmes, the way that those guys ended up lining up together was crazy because we got Tone after we got a marijuana suspension. Braylon we took from the Browns out of nowhere, and he came in my rookie year. Like So it pieced together over time, and then all of a sudden it's like, whoa, we got three legit targets and a solid tight end and a Hall of Fame running back and a really good young rookie in Sean Green. So holy shit, who do we guard, right? So Right now, there's no defensive coordinator that's thinking like, okay, are we going to double this guy? Are we going to play? I mean, you're you're playing defense against this team with your first two installs of of training camp defense. Like it's not that hard, right? They're they're not scared. You're not scaring anybody. And you're not keeping that defensive coordinator up late at night thinking about, okay, what are we going to do? So I just feel like until that happens, it doesn't matter necessarily who the coach is. You got to, you know, this thing's going to take time, but if they go defensive, fine. I mean, everybody, you see this too in the NFL a lot, right? Like the classic overcorrection, right? Like, oh, we went offense last time. Okay, we got to go defense. Or, you know, Rex was outspoken defense. Let's go, you know, offense conservative or whatever, you know? And that's not, you know, just pick one and stick with it. I don't care what you do. Just pick one and stick with it for six years, seven years, and develop your young quarterback for that amount of time and give it a real opportunity. If you don't do that then every time you're just kind of, you know, throwing caution to the wind, blowing on the dice and, and hoping for a good roll, right? It, it just doesn't make sense. But it's hard. I mean, here's the other it's not easy, right? Like, those guys are under so much scrutiny, just like every organization, but even more there because the spotlight is so bright.
1: Yeah, it reminds me of a story. You'll appreciate this, Mark. So, Shoddy, when Shepard and Brian Schottenheimer was here, and, and Shoddy had a good run here, he took a lot of heat, especially that last season, 2011. He took a lot of heat, and, you know, I may and have written some things. that was my best
3: year, statistically.
1: <laughs> it was, yeah. That was my and best I may, year.
3: I may have written some things. I rushed critical, for more touchdowns. He- I threw for more touchdowns. I was, I mean... I was my most productive right? with two receivers, with two receivers that we didn't even have for like most of the training. Like that's crazy. Like If we could have just kept some of those guys, you know what I mean? I mean, that's just like, but go ahead. Finish.
1: All right. So I ripped shoddy. I ripped shoddy pretty good that year. And, you know, I called for him to be fired and I was young and didn't really know what I was doing. And, So the Jets have, since that time, they've been through six different offensive coordinators since Shoddy. And it feels like each one is worse than the (laughs) the last one when they come in. Oh, yeah. And they have – yeah, Chan Gailey had a good offense for one year. The rest of them have all been terrible. So I saw Shoddy at the Combine this year in February. I saw him at the JW Marriott. I wrote him my handwritten
3: notes said,
1: sorry. No, I went over to him and I said, Shoddy, I know this probably doesn't mean anything to you. I go, but I'm sorry. I'm like, I was so wrong about you in 2011. And he's, I appreciate that, Brian. I appreciate that. <laughs> he's like, you know, but yeah, it's hard. true. It was like shoddy. We didn't like shoddy was pretty good here. And he, and with Mark and even before Mark, he, he had success with Favre and with Chad and I was a fan ready that to compla- run him out of town. I was a
0: fan that complained about him too. I didn't like him. So now I'm seeing have yeah. all the success. I'm like, God damn it. What? I was wrong. <laughs> And, I mean, that's hard, too,
3: because he was going – so Shadi's real system that, you know, he was with Norm Turner with is numbers. And when Favre got there, Favre's like, I'm not doing numbers. Right,
1: like, I'm not calling it, yeah. plays.
3: Yeah, he's like, I'm not calling it 989. We're calling it Dancer or I'm not running it. And so Shadi's like, okay, well. <laughs> yeah. Now you have to – so not only is he calling plays, he's kind of doing it in, like, a different dialect of his own language, if you can think of it that way. That is so hard. And they still won nine games. Right. So and if then, yeah, Favre
1: hadn't gotten hurt, he would, they would have won more.
3: Yeah, then when I come in, they're like, well, what do you want to do? And Shoddy's kind of like at this point, like, all right, whatever, because I've done it both ways. Who cares? We get enough good players. I'll call it whatever you want as long as you guys run it and execute it. It doesn't matter. You know, so boom, he grew in a year, learned a ton from far, Then he starts developing me and we have a couple of pretty good years, man. We have a solid running game, a good defense. Like that's what you keep building on and you try, what you try and do is keep that there or else then the quarterback has to get set back a year and you start all over. And it sucks. Look at Alex Smith for five years or whatever it was at the beginning. All those coordinators speaking a new language every year. It's like, oh my God. And here's the other one. I'm, I made this point. I don't remember what podcast I did. It might have been Kevin Ngani. It might have been somebody else. I forget. But there's like these situations at the end of the game, okay? The most crucial situations in the game. It's, you know, four seconds on the clock. Can we run a play and throw the ball out of bounds, you know, and, and make sure the ball is in the air long enough to run a play without putting the ball in jeopardy or having anything like that, right? We don't want to hand it off, all this kind of stuff. Or, you know, hey, don't score. Or uh, defense, let them score. All these kind of things, Right. All these situations at the end of the game are so vitally important. Well, they all have different names. In every system, they have a different name. So if you get guys that have to remember these names year after year that are now different in the most crucial time, and you only get to practice them in walkthroughs a bunch, you do it in training camp a bunch. But when it's week 12 and you have to go to that situation and you're like, oh, do we call that get down or do we call it down, down, timeout? Or do we call it no moss, Or was this, oh, God. That is the worst feeling in the world. It sucks because it is so vitally important. And you know, if if we just execute this one play, game's in the bag, we're going home with a win. Okay? Like, and they're so easy, right? You can explain the play to everybody, but you might not know the name. That sucks. So the more you have to make guys do that, the more chances you're going to have to screw that up. And then people look at you at the end of the game, Todd Gurley, like, uh, what are you doing? Why did you score? We just talked about not scoring or whatever. Right. Like those kind of things are so vitally important. And if you keep changing those,
1: you keep changing the name of those. It's a pain in the ass. For everybody, I remember freeway was Rex's right. They were supposed to let the Jaguar score a touchdown yes. and they got confused, exactly. yeah. That game against yeah. Jacksonville, yeah. <laughs> oh, 100%. And if, if one
3: guy doesn't know, then the communication breaks down, and it's literally one play that changes the course of a game, changes the course of a season. I mean, you remember when Victor Cruz scored for the Giants on the 90 yard touchdown or whatever that changed their whole season, right? Like, we're going into that game, and nobody's talking about the Giants. The only thing they're saying about the Giants, is gonna get fired, and Eli. Is gonna get cut or traded? Right, right, yeah, right. Eli comes into that game throwing like twenty touchdowns and twenty picks or something, and then it's boom. After that ninety-yard touchdown, I don't know if he threw another pick the rest of the season. They went on won the Super Bowl. I was like, whoa,
0: ninety-nine yards. Actually, it was one yeah, of the longest. Yeah, some
3: like yeah, it was something yeah, ridiculous, and it was like a third, and, you know, fifteen or something.
1: You threw like sixty passes that day, right? It was, it it was, was something crazy. Yeah, you, I remember. I remember seeing that number at the end of the game. It was incredible how much he threw that day. Wow. But like stuff like that,
3: I mean, it changes the course of your your season, your franchise. You know, people get fired because of that. It, it all changes just based on that one thing. So the longer you can have guys together, the
0: better. What are some of like the weirdest calls? You obviously blue forty two, uh, down down. What are some of the weirdest ones that you've you've shouted out? Because some we sometimes hear some funny ones on TV, but not always.
3: Um, I'm trying to think. We would come up with like funny signals and stuff.
1: Did you see your guy Mangold? Mark is all of a sudden chatty. Nick Mangold, who wouldn't tell us if the sky—if we asked him what color the sky was—he wouldn't tell us when he was a player. Mangold's out there telling stories about Tebow not swearing in the huddle. <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe he told that story. Did you see that? I didn't. I didn't hear that. But yeah. that's... <laughs> Mangold said there was a—it was that a play. It was something called like a, a screen or something like that. Oh, it's
3: called oh. Sh-. Yeah, the screen's called oh sh-. screen. <laughs>
1: And Tebow wouldn't say it because he wouldn't swear. And Mengel told the story. He doesn't swear, I does not believe
3: he said, Yeah, he probably said, oh, shoot screen to the tight end yeah. or whatever. Throwback to the tight end.
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah, no,
3: for real. He just didn't. He was just that kind of guy. He didn't swear, which is fine. But like in film, we go into our meetings in film and, you know, Nick would ask like this. Oh gosh, like a fundamental or like dogmatic question about you know religion or the Bible or something, and he would like give me a heads up like, "Yo, I'm gonna start a holy mark. and I'm like, "Can you wait till we're done with our down sleep?" I'm just like, "Dude, we're not doing that today. We're not debating Catholicism versus Judaism. Like, we're not doing that today, okay? This isn't you know religious history three forty. Like, that's not happening. So it would just be." such a pain in the ass I'm like can we at least get through the third downs and then you do whatever you want so it was uh, you know he would he would have like some and, and Tim to his credit I got to tell you I mean this dude was he's everything he talked about like it wasn't it wasn't a joke you know like he was he's legit and he knew the scriptures he knew the history and all that kind of stuff so he would he, and he's very passionate about it so to his credit I mean those two would go back and forth you know and Nick is <laughs> just like well why don't they why don't they talk about dinosaurs in the Bible and I'm just like what <laughs> <I'm> like what <laughs> What are, what are you talking about? Can we just can we just go over protections, please? Like are we really doing this today? And then it's McElroy, you know, like oh God, here we go you know. <laughs> i would pay it to was, be a fly uh, in the
0: room for
1: that one that's yeah incredible. they were
3: there were some funny wednesday and thursday afternoons
1: it's amazing now the entire 2012 quarterback room is on espn but that's not it i mean as much as espn killed us uh
3: when we were players <laughs> yeah. we've yeah. been we've all been hired right like Woody, damon woody you know bart scott uh jonathan doma me um rex mike t i mean there's there's a lot of jets it's jets heavy man and, and that's
1: awesome And you know who took the bullets for the ESPN killing them in 2012, Jake? The beat writers. They would get – there was guys who hated us because of what ESPN said. And I remember, like, Calvin Pace – being like, you guys are calling us clowns. And it's like, no, ESPN's calling you clowns. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, now they're writing you a nice paycheck now. So I guess that's, uh, yeah. it's even now with ESPN. Yeah, exactly. Um,
1: how good, I mean,
0: where were those chicken fingers from? How good were they? Obviously the video with Nick <laughs> Falls out there. I need to know about these
1: chicken fingers.
3: Yeah, so they... um. They're just from the stadium there in Philly, but every, uh, every equipment staff, they always have food at halftime and it's usually for them. But if you're suited up and you're not playing or you're, you know, injured and just in street clothes, that's kind of like, once you become a vet, you just realize that there's food at halftime and usually you're kind of hungry. So, uh, later on in my career, I just used to dip into the, uh, dip into the equipment room and they'd always have, uh, because I already got in trouble for eating on the sidelines, right? Yeah. So I couldn't do that talk. anymore. Yeah. So that was, uh, that was a no, no. And so um, then we the, we go in the equipment room. And so sometimes our quarterback coach was Musgrave. And, you know, I got more personality than Nick Foles, I would say. And sometimes, you know, he would just be like, Yo, can you go check Foles' pulse? Is he all right? Is he good to go? You know, he would just go – just kind of prod me to go, you know, pick him up a little bit or give him a little pep talk or whatever. Just get him excited, get him juiced up, you know, and, and, and um, get a little hopping in his stuff, whatever. And Nick's a gamer. He's just a very stoic guy, right? Like, he loves football. He's a great player, strong arm, all the things you want. in a quarterback, good leader. But he's just quiet. And that's fine. That's just his style. So, Musgrave, <laughs> he'd just be like, yo, go check Foles' pulse. Go say something and make him laugh. I'm like, okay. And so, we're going over stuff. And, you know, Nick's, like, dialed in because we're, you know, he's playing his ass off against the Giants. We're, we're kicking their butt up and down the field, really. And he's playing – Okay, I think he threw a pick or two and we could have had, you know, more points, but we were still up. I think we were still I think they they didn't even score yet or something. But it was a Monday night game. We're in our all black unis and everybody's all excited. So we come out of halftime and I just, I was like, hey, all right, what else did you see? And Nick's like, okay, anything else that you see? Like what happened on the interception? I'm like, dude, that one bad ball. Who cares? No big deal. That play's over. Let's go next play. And he, you know, and he just kind of looks at me like, okay, what else? Like you needed something else. And that, that was the next thing I thought of. I was just like, hey, you try the chicken fingers at halftime? Because they're pretty good.
0: Yeah, he had like a slight <laughs> chuckle, but he didn't seem too, too amused by it.
3: Yeah, because he was just like ready for me to be like, all right, they're also playing a little two-man, here's the tell, blah, blah, blah but we went through it already. Like we're done with all that. It was exhausted. There was nothing else to talk about. He was ready. He was more than prepared. He was just overthinking it. And so I was trying to give him something that would just not be football related and just kind of let him think about something else for a second. (laughs) So he just kind of looked at me like, what the hell dude.
0: The hot hot uh, dog in Oakland. Did you pull it out of your sock? The hot dog.
3: No, one of the guys got it for me. I was just trying to cover it during a timeout thinking like we weren't on camera (laughs) and that's, Talk about your all-time backfires.
0: Yeah, that, that is a classic uh, story. Last one for you, uh, Mark, before we let you go. I know you're a big musical theater fan. I'm actually a big Broadway oh, yeah. musical guy. Uh, my guy yeah. is James Monroe Ighar, former uh, former star of uh, Aladdin as a genie. I'm curious yeah, what yeah. what your Mount Rushmore of Broadway musicals would be. Oh, geez. In the Heights was one of my favorite. I saw that a bunch. Wicked was
3: great with Jerry Lee Lewis. It was Elvis Presley. Million Dollar Quartet. Uh, that one was awesome. Oh, uh, Memphis. Incredible. James was uh, in that one. Yeah, that,
0: that's four. There it is. So good. Yeah. So good. Mine are, Those okay. are, probably, Mine are Jersey oh, Boys, yeah. Aladdin, Mamma Mia, and Grease probably. there's oh. probably my uh, top four. I haven't yeah, seen. I
3: never saw Grease. Jersey Boys is incredible. Yeah, that's it's a, a crime, that I didn't put them in there.
0: Underrated. A couple underrated ones on your feet. I saw the Temptations musical before the pandemic hit. Uh, is a good one. I saw the oh, Donna, yeah, that was good. The Donna Summer one was pretty good. Um, uh, in Transit, an acapella musical wasn't on for long, but very good. Uh, one oh, wow. of the one of the, one of the best beatboxers on the planet. What is this?
1: A Broadway? Yes. Podcast? Listen, the Jets are zero and nine.
0: We got to keep. We got to talk about other things. You know. Oh, what's um, the other uh,
3: one? They um the other one they uh they do improv. It's almost like Who's Line in It Anyway. Oh, um, that's uh, Lin Manuel Miranda. He he produced it. I want to say. The guy who was the original genie and was in Memphis.
0: It's the, it's the freestyle rap one. Uh, freestyle yes. freestyle Love Supreme, right? Freestyle yep. Love Supreme. Here we go. Good call. All right. We'll close Good it on call. that one. That was That is one I Ugh. have to see when it comes get back. At,
1: get me out of here. So,
0: sorry, Kaz. We had to, we had on, to do BC, that. Come on,
3: Live a little, man. You know, why don't you culture yourself, yourself a little bit? Yeah. Come on. No culture.
0: Summer 2021, just, I'm going to take Kaz to a musical. That's what we're going to do. Just, I why don't you go on Sundays?
3: Pod. Why don't you go on Sundays about 1 o'clock, go to your Broadway show what else
0: we got going on yeah a, a June, a summer, a June uh, Sunday afternoon we'll go see one when there's no football oh no game. I meant in the fall oh in the fall, <laughs> yeah. In yeah. The fall. yeah we'll skip, skip the Jets game you know have someone <laughs> yeah. else cover it uh, <laughs> Mark Sanchez catch his show fourth and forever with Showtime Sports on YouTube and uh, go watch clips of him on Mass Singer too and you see him on ESPN Mark we appreciate you uh, coming on Gangs All Here we'll talk to you soon thanks
3: appreciate it guys thank you
0: That says bye-bye, love, to episode 50, the Eric Barton edition of Gangs All Here, our Jets podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Alex Camerata for helping me out in producing the show. Go on Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and write in a nice review, please. We appreciate your support. For Brian Costello, I'm Jake Brown. We'll be back on Monday recapping Jets, Chargers, and looking ahead to their matchup with the Dolphins. Enjoy the game, folks. Stay safe.